Hi folks, welcome to the Epochs of the Lotus Eaters, and this is part two of our Duke of Wellington series. Last time you may remember, we established Wellington's character and discussed his time in India, which was um, very interesting. Uh, and now we are going to be talking about, what was it, the Peninsula War? Mm. Yeah. So we've covered this before. Mm. This is going to be a kind of companion piece yeah. to the previous coverage of the Peninsula War. So... That's right, if people look back at the Epochs list and the series we did, the eight, nine part series on Napoleon, there was a couple on the Peninsula War. Mm. Um, in the first one of those, I talk a lot about the setup to it, but from the Spanish and French point of view. Mm. Then in the second one, I do, it's just sort of an overview of the events. In this, I want to talk about everything from the British and specifically Arthur Wellesley's point of view. So even given a couple of hours, like I often say, even given a couple of hours, it will have to be a little bit of an overview type deal. There'll be some bits, whole battles that I won't mention, that people, there'll be someone's favourite battle. You know, why didn't you go into detail about yeah. this particular siege or something? Uh, well, you just can't do it all. Mm. Um, uh, and so also, telling, the telling this story, I've sort of, as I say, got to be a bit selective. But I want to try and hit the high points that are sort of really, really relevant to to the Duke of Wellington and sort of and his life and his character and things. Mm -hmm. So that, again, there might be a whole campaigns and stuff that don't really shed all that much light on him. Mm. So I'm going to skip over those. So maybe one day I'll do, I uh, did threaten it last time, didn't I? Do a crazy long sort of stupidly in-depth uh, coverage of everything Peninsula War related with dozens and dozens of episodes. Um, like you're threatening everyone, but, um, look, one day I might do it, so you know, yeah. be careful. But this one will be um, just sort of concentrating really on Arthur. Hmm. Um, okay, so last time we left off where he'd, he'd come back from India, um, he'd got, became an MP, he'd got married to Kitty Pakenham, um, and then sort of left off when it looked like things were going to start kicking off in the peninsula, which is the Iberian, the Spanish peninsula, hmm. that's what that is if anyone doesn't know um so sort of pick up the story there um where i mentioned in the other one that at one point as a young man he'd sort of thought he might prefer to have some sort of civil career well by this point he's just endlessly asking to be posted there's a quote where he says i'll go anywhere in the world at, at the drop of a hat just send me anywhere i'll take a, a command anywhere um but yeah, and so they were going to send him somewhere else in the world. I think the, uh, the, the, the West Indies. Um, but at the last minute, they, he gets rerouted to Portugal. Um, so without going into sort of um, too much detail about it, because this was in the last, one of the other ones about Napoleon. Um, Napoleon kind of fools the Spanish establishment into yeah. sort of letting him march whole armies across northern Spain into Portugal. Yeah. Um, very, very briefly. Again, just to do with the, the, the continental system where Napoleon wants to prevent anyone in Europe from trading with Britain. It's like an economic warfare. He couldn't beat us at sea and therefore couldn't invade us. Mm. So he wants to try and cripple our economy. Well, Portugal aren't playing ball with that because we've got a close, we're sort of best All buddies. alliance in the world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he wants to invade Portugal. Um, he does do that. He sends one of his Marshal Juno uh, into Spain, then down into Portugal. Um, the entire Portuguese um, royal family and their sort of court and really anyone mm. of note almost flees Lisbon and takes mm. their whole fleet over to Brazil 
Isn't his brother like put in the position of King of Spain? Or something yeah. Like that? Yeah. So shortly after that happens, yeah. I'll just quickly say on that, um, Junot and the French armies are able to enter Lisbon uh, with almost without a shot fired. Hmm. The Portuguese essentially just give up. One, because they haven't got much and certainly not a, a high quality army. Hmm. Um, and two, they think they're much more beaten than they really are. Hmm. There's one quote, I think it, was, it would have been Omar instead, that, you know, a, a few boy scouts or, uh, yeah, just the, the town militia of Lisbon could have stopped this like raggedy, uh, like the, the, the remnants of Juno's army that was able to get down to Lisbon, which is right at the bottom of, Why of did Portugal. They, what did they suffer on the way down? Because it was just really hard going. There's guerrillas. Oh, right, right, right. Both in Spain and Portugal, loads, there's loads of guerrilla warfare. Right. Uh, even more in Portugal, not more in numbers, but even more tenacious in Portugal. Hmm. There'll be like an individual priest standing on a road. Will take out, will take on a whole Spanish cavalry wing. He might take out one of them. Yeah. yeah. Or there's accounts where like just a teenage girl will defend her homestead to the death. I mean, that's very impressive. Mm. Right. Yeah. 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 But it makes it slow going for the French. Yeah. And whereas, you know, they tried to do it on a little bit of a shoestring. Um, and when he gets to Lisbon, it's actually a bit of a ragtag group of men right, at that right. point. But the Lisbon basically just give in. And mm. after they do so, they realise, oh, we could have actually, we yeah. should have put up a defence here. Anyway, um, so then after that, pretty much straight after that, Napoleon then is revealed as wanting to invade all of Spain, which he does. And then he puts his brother, Joseph, right. on, the on, on the Spanish throne. He deposes the... Uh, mm. And the mm. Spanish, Spanish royal family. Um, so yeah, it's King King Joseph Bonaparte of Spain mm. sitting in Madrid. Okay, so let's pick up the story there. We send over. We decide the British government decides that um, we could get involved here. We could sort of help Spain and Portugal. Mm. Uh, because this, this seems like an obvious. Sorry to interrupt, mm, mm. but like strategically, it seems like an obvious weak point for France because. Mm. They've gone in under false pretenses. They've deposed what I assume is a legitimate monarch. And they must be fairly overstretched. Because Spain's quite a large place. They've got, they're committed on multiple fronts. They've committed now in Spain. It must be a pain in the rear. We could go and make that a bit more sharp, right? Yeah. We had been looking, ever since the French Revolution, mm. we'd been looking all over the globe at all times to say, where can we, where can we damage the French? Yeah. French interests. Um, and we've been quite unsuccessful, largely. You know, we had to go in the, in the low countries and basically failed. We did all right in the Americas. Um, it, well, you say that. Um, yes and no. Um, I mean, ultimately, with the... So I suppose it was prior to the French Revolution that we um, took yeah, most we, of French holdings in the Americas. Yeah, that's sort of a while ago now. yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, what we took was a few, uh, a few at great loss, um, or it's like quite expensive, but we took a few of their sugar islands mm. in the West Indies. Again, that's what Wellesley was originally intended to do, is to go out there and just <coughs> harass French holdings in the, in the Caribbean. Um, but then, because uh, it's hard to get involved in the middle of Europe mm. um, without just really, really committing. Um, so we see what's going on in Portugal and Spain, and uh, yeah, the decision is made that we could at least help Portugal, at the very least help Portugal. Um, 
And you're right to say that the French are sort of overcommitted. That's the classic thing. Um, there's a broad sweep of the brush and overview is that, yeah, Spain becomes like an open sore for Napoleon. Mm. It's like his, his uh, Vietnam or something. Or I, heard, I saw a historian, listened to a historian just the other day saying that it was less of an open sore, because that's a famous quote. Yeah. And it's more of just a hemorrhage. It's just hemorrhaging yeah. men and money. Yeah. Because quite often Napoleon would conquer somewhere and, and rob it blind. So he's got more money or France has got more money. So not only because Spain's quite poor or very mm. poor, really, after the first few uh, rounds of trying to squeeze money out of them, there's no money to be squeezed out of them anymore. And it's costing him money all the time. Yeah. Well, it lasts for sort of like six, seven odd years. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of like his Vietnam <laughs> in a way. Um, so after the invasion of Spain and Portugal by the French, we decided we're going to get involved. Now, it's not. Wellesley that is in first put in charge because although Wellesley is after the the great victory at Assay, he is certainly one of the most famous one of the most decorated if not the most decorated combat generals in the British army but there's still loads of generals that are older and more senior in inverted commas mm. than him so when it when uh, at horse guards and the government decide who's going to be in charge there's uh, Sir John Moore um, gets given the command and uh, Wellesley really looks up and really likes, looks up to and really likes Sir John Moore. Um, so just to sort of montage through that super quickly. <coughs> um, we go down to Portugal um, and actually push up through Portugal and into Spain even. Mm. And we sort of catch them a little off guard, uh, but only a little. They rally a big army. Joseph rallies a big army. And Sir John Moore makes the decision to try and um, a feint is the wrong word, but to push deep into Spain, almost to walk right towards Madrid, just to try and buy the Spanish some time to get their armies together. Hmm. Uh, and it works, uh, because Napoleon happens to be in Spain at the time, and he, in his calculation, which is correct really, if there's a British army here, we'll drop everything else. Forget yeah. about the Spanish and Portuguese for the moment. Yeah mass everything and let's try and destroy this British army uh, because in Napoleon's mind again correctly really we are his number one enemy number one foe and if he can and we usually have it's different by the end but at least in the beginning we usually have quite small armies mm. army corps so if they can be wiped out or annihilated that will immediately be, immediately be the top of his list of things to do so anyway, he pushes Sir John Moore all the way back to the extreme northwest of Spain and it's a a terrible fighting retreat mm. um, through terrible, terrible conditions. And in fact, John Moore pushed them maybe slightly too hard, and lots of men died on it. It's almost like a death march. Mm. Anyway, there's a battle of Corona at the end of that, again, right up in Galicia, the extreme northwest of Spain. And John Moore actually is hit by a cannonball and killed, um, sort of almost blows his arm off, sort of hits him in the upper chest, shoulder area, collarbone yeah. area, and he's killed. Um, and we're pushed out of Spain. It's like a Dunkirk moment. Mm. Well, most of our army, what's left of it, manages to embark on ships and just about get away. Right. So, um, yeah, a bit of a Dunkirk moment type deal going on there. Um, so, um, after that, uh, some time passes and we decide that we're going to send another army over to help the Portuguese. And this is where uh, Arthur gets involved. Because just as a quick thing here, yeah. 
we actually have some time here because Napoleon can't languish in Spain forever. He's got things to do elsewhere. Mm. Right? He's got to mm. you know, be putting out fires all over Europe if he wants to maintain his hold on it. So actually, time is with us here. Absolutely. Napoleon is on and off, mm. like massively com committed in the middle of Europe. Mm. Uh, so the Peninsula War goes on until 1814. So in the middle of that is his massive campaign, well, not in the middle, towards the end, 1812, is his mm. massive campaign in Russia. Yeah. Like um, during this, there's like the, the Battle of Leipzig and things. There's certain points where he's got leisure to send more men to Spain and other points where he needs every last battalion mm. somewhere else in Europe. Mm. So it depends. But a lot of the time, though, mm. most of the time, really, yeah, he's, he needs all the men he can somewhere else. Yeah, so keeping up the pressure is a wise strategy mm. from the British point of view. If the French had had liberty for year after year to have quarter of a million men in Spain, it would have gone differently. Well, I wouldn't but have they haven't. <laughs> but they just haven't yeah. got that luxury, really. Yeah. Um, so one thing to mention here, sort of a, an overview, is that Sir John Moore was of the opinion that it was sort of impossible to defend Portugal. And everyone, not everyone, but nearly everyone in the army and in the government agreed with him. And, uh, well, history, if anyone knows the peninsula history, you, you know that that's not the case. But they didn't know that. They didn't have the, the yeah. hindsight of knowing that. And so it was sort of a long, uh, sort of a, a, a bitter process for people to realise that that wasn't the case. So In, in so, his defence as well, mm. you can see why he would think that. I mean, you can invade Portugal from practically any angle. It's, not, it's long and thin. Yeah. So... It's easy to get wherever you need to get in Portugal if yeah. you're attacking from outside. The frontier, the, the, the border between Portugal and Spain mm. is just mainly sort of fairly barren mountain ranges. Mm. Um, not that difficult to pass. I mean, it's really rugged and difficult to pass, but not impossible. And it's been done many times. You, you can get baggage trains and cannons yeah. across there. Uh, three of the main places, which will keep coming up again and again in this story, three of the main places to, that you can cross um, are at Badios, Almeida, and Ciudad Rodrigo are the places. They're like mm. frontiers, towns, fortresses that keep changing hands like multiple times mm. and have done for centuries, these, yeah. these same places. Um, so there's sort of a fairly um, famous letter which Sir John Moore sent to Castlereagh, our foreign secretary, in, um, in 1808, um, and he said this, uh, I can say generally that the frontier of Portugal is not defensible against a superior force. It is an open frontier, all equally rugged, but all equally uh, to be penetrated. If the French succeed in Spain, it would be vain to attempt to, assist them, uh, to resist them in Portugal. The Portuguese are without a military force. No dependence can be placed on any military aid that they can give. The British must, in that event, I conceive, immediately take steps to evacuate the country. Lisbon is the only port, it's not quite true, but it's the only big good port, um, is the only port, and therefore the only place whence the army, with its stores, can embark. We might check the progress of the enemy while the stores are embarking, and arrangements are being made for taking off the army. Beyond this, the defence of Lisbon, or of Portugal, should not be thought of. So everyone's like, well, so John knows what he's talking about. If mm. anyone knows what they're talking about, it's him. So that's just truth. That's just the reality. Um, but 
again, we know it's not, but... But also, it wasn't an irrational do? calculation to make. No, right. Well, I probably would have made the same calculation. I would have said, well, <laughs> I mean, maybe, but why, why, why not find somewhere more secure? Mm. You know, the, mm. But, you know, I mean, I'm not a military genius. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, you know. So when they decided to... <clears throat> when Wellington knew he was going back into the peninsula, or we were going back mm. into the peninsula, he... Um, at a dinner party, um, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, well, one of the main things that makes the French sort of seem invincible is that people are afraid of them. They've got like this aura mm. of invincibility. That's how they just march straight into Lisbon almost unopposed and loads of other things in Europe. Like Napoleon and his marshals had bested the Italians, the Austrians, the Germans, mm. everyone. Um, but I'm not afraid. And we've talked about this aura of invincibility many times. Mm. And how it literally wins campaigns. Yeah. So. Yeah, he, he said, well, I'm not afraid of them for a start, so we'll see how that works out. <laughs> and he was also convinced, and no one else was at this moment, mm. no one had really conceived of this, um, that the lion could beat the column. Mm. The column where Napoleon would line up maybe five or eight men wired and hundred, maybe hundreds deep, a yeah. column, that pushes through. And of course, the first few lines of that column uh, get killed but if it pushes through your line then people break yeah and then you've won the day mm. simple as that whereas Wells Wellesley's idea was that no we can if we've got men that stand and fight stand and just keep firing and firing and even if mm. they do punch a hole through your line you just maneuver them in half companies somewhere else and keep going it won't work I don't think that will work against us mm. just like a say it's like well it's all very well you can outnumber us many, many times and outgun us five, six to one, but that's not going to work because of this, this and this. And the calculation was just correct. <laughs> um, so this is, that's what he's got in mind is that I'm, right. for a start, I'm not going to bottle it yeah. on the day. And secondly, I don't even think their column's all that good. Right, right. So, okay. When he goes out there, he sends he a letter. Just a quick thing. He must have yeah. sounded like quite a maverick at this point. Like stuffy old Wellesley's like, yeah, well, you know, I'm going to do it. And... Like, everyone's like, you're mad. You're going to get loads of people killed. And he's still only 39, 40 years old. Yeah. So that's still quite young to be sort of <clears throat> a fairly senior general. Mm. Um, but he'd sort of shown it in India. Mm -hmm. where, whereas if he was just, uh, you know, a, a colonel saying something like that, people might be able to just dismiss him or, yeah. or brush his ideas under the carpet. But he was the victor of a say. Like I say, we hadn't won any giant big set-piece battles like that in a while. Mm. He was one of the only guys in the whole British army who can say, well, I fought a set piece, giant set-piece battle and won. Yeah. What have you done? Uh, he was one of the only ones. Mm. So, um, anyway, in 1809... Sorry, again, just, just sorry, to... Yeah. I, I'm sorry. The, <clears throat> so what, what I find really interesting about this is Wellesley is not the sort of man you would think would be this kind of radical reformer when it comes to things like tactics um he's he seems like a very conservative man right and so as you know talking about his character last time the these are not the the sorts of people who normally come out with quite extreme proposals right but it's interesting how like you were saying in the when he before he was in command i was looking is, is this how it's done and he's clearly looking around and going, look how military orthodoxy is just wrong or it's out of date and it's not 
fit for purpose. And actually, with a bit of just common sense, I can look at this and say, actually, I think this will work. And so what is like an arch conservative person turns out to be a really radical, like, I don't say left wing. That's not the right way of framing it. But you know what I mean? Like someone with grand vision, right? And that's just not the normal kind of person you get a grand vision from. Yeah, just very quickly to say on the politics side, he was like an ultra Tory. Mm. So yeah, he was ultra conservative and old school politically. So yeah, yeah. the further thing from uh, left wing. But yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just the conception of Wellington that he's um, really conservative with a small c in terms of sort of military stretch. It's just not true. Well, I mean, evidently. So you look at a say, you look at a say, yeah. and it's a giant gamble. Yeah. A giant gamble. Yeah. So he's really... Well, I've got a long quote, which I'll read later, which just puts it, it just puts it perfectly again and again and again, where mm. he's, he's really conservative with a small c when it comes to things like logistics. Mm. But when it comes to actual battlefield strategy, he's really bold. Mm. He's really bold. He's got this reputation of being a defensive general, which, well, is, which wasn't, but he's often has to be a defensive general. It's not mm. because it's because he hasn't got any other option but to be defensive. Right. When he does have the option to be offensive, which he does get here yeah. and there, um, he's incredibly bold and creative. That's very interesting. So, like, again, yeah. just slightly upturning conventional wisdom about the Duke of Wellington, that's all. Yeah. Because um, he has had his detractors, like foreign or French historians, mm. um, that try and level right, yeah. those sorts of things against him. And minimise the fact but that he won and not... they didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so when he got to, um, when he got his shot in, in the peninsula, uh, one of the first letters he wrote back to Castlereagh, um, he said this, I have always been of the opinion that Portugal might be defended, whatever might be the result of the contest in Spain, and that in the meantime, measures adopted for the defence of Portugal might be highly useful to Spaniards in their contest with the French. My notion was that the Portuguese military establishment ought to be revived and that in addition to those troops, His Majesty ought to employ about 20,000 British troops, including about 4,000 cavalry. My opinion is that even if Spain should have been conquered, the French would not have been able to overrun, overrun Portugal with a smaller force than 100,000 men, as long as the contest may continue in Spain. This force, the 20,000 British troops, um, if it could be placed in a state of activity, would be highly useful to the Spaniards and might eventually decide the contest. And what's interesting, he's not, he's not led an army that big, has he? Uh, not quite that big. No, um, no, no. Right. Yeah. And you over the years, it swells to more than that. Well, first to say, Castlereagh agrees with him yeah. and sends him 30,000 men. Oh, thanks very much. And he doesn't get any more than that for a few years. It's not until 1812, like four years later, three, four years later, before they give him any more. But... I'm, sh I'm sure you don't normally get more men than you're asking for with the mm. British Army as well. Mm. I bet normally, okay, well, that, that's nice, you're getting 15,000. Good luck, you know. And he's still often outnumbered mm. in those early years well, as well, heavily. Mm. Um, a couple of things there. One, he said, look, the Portuguese Army is almost non-existent, but let's build it up. Let's mm. do that. Let's try at least. Come on. Mm. Um, and his calculation is that, you know, the French... It's going to be difficult for them to sort of muster a hundred thousand guys. Mm. Um, so this, there's something that can be done here. Yeah. The idea that John Moore said it was just indefensible, I don't agree with that. Is what he's saying. Mm. Now, hardly anyone agreed with him, but Castlereagh, the Foreign Secretary, they were quite close. Right. Castlereagh sort of was one of those people that believed in 
Wellington's opinions and everything. And like you were saying, the, the French have faced fierce resistance so far. It's not like the Iberians don't have a fighting spirit, just they don't have institutions or organization. <laughs> so mm. you can see where Wellesley's coming from. So the Spanish army is a little bit of a different story to the Portuguese, well, very different actually. They have got all sorts of small armies all mm. over the place. Yeah. Um, but they're not, they don't, it's very, very broad strokes of the brush this, but they're not particularly disciplined. Um, they're not sort of highly, highly drilled like the British troops, but mm. they have got armies all over the place. One guy I shall have to mention, one of their leading generals, Cuesta, his name is, Cuesta, probably failing to pronounce that correctly, um, a, quite an old general, really stubborn, not very good actually. Um, so they, 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 where the Portuguese have sort of not really got much at all to speak of, mm. the Spanish have, but they're, they're just not great. They, they're better as guerrilla fighters. Well, I was going to say, didn't we cover this when we talked about the peninsula last time? That the Spanish basically don't fight very well. Like, they don't stand and fight in the same yeah. way the British do. No, right, not in the same way. There's one or two examples where they do have a smaller, smaller-ish battles mm. and are able to hold their own, but usually, nearly always, Certainly if the numbers are even remotely even, mm. they just lose to the French. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are examples where that's not the case, but they're very, very rare. Um, so there's another letter from April 1810, so a bit later after things have really started happening, but these two letters or these two notes, dispatches, um, historians look back on and say, that's sort of incredible that he said that mm. because he just correctly predicts everything. Uh, like the one I just read about, yeah. about you know, send me 20 or, as it was, 30,000 men, and I can defend Portugal. Mm. Well, he, he did, against all conventional wisdom. Um, but again, I, just going back to the, um, the point before, it, you can, I, I just find Wellesley a very fascinating guy, just because I like intelligent men who look at what they've got and say, no, this is being done wrong. Mm. I, I like this way of, you know, th these sort of events. Because you can tell that, you know, everyone's got the best will in the world. It's just when you're trapped in a kind of system, you become a creature of the system. But he never feels like he's a creature of the system. Mm. And so he sort of stands outside of it, even while being the guy at the top of it. You know, I just, I just find that interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Of course. Yeah, no, definitely. I completely it's agree. Admirable, it's uh, it, The thing is, if you are right, if you end mm. up being right, how many people in <coughs> history or just in life, mm. they think... Um, they've got a whole new dynamic for doing things. Yes. They try it and it turns out they were wrong. Yeah. It's only the successful ones where you look back and you're like, that guy's a genius kind of thing. But also you've, you've got to have a kind of certain stubbornness about you because mm. doubtless everyone around him was like, well, no, I mean, that's obviously not correct because of conventional wisdom, blah, 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 blah. And Wellesley must just every time be like, well, I think that's wrong because I've got direct experience of this and that and the other. And mm. I just think it can be done. And if I'm given 30,000 men, I'll show you wrong. Mm. So I, I like that attitude, that's what I'm saying. It does take guts to be so convinced. Yeah. Um, I rewatched the film Moneyball the other day, slight aside here, I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's no, a film with Brad Pitt about baseball. Right. But anyway, just a story of this guy in the early 2000s, a general manager uh, of the Oakland Angels, um, who said he changed the whole game of baseball, basically, in a way. Right. So I don't care about how everything's done. Mm. All that matters is getting on base getting a hit to get on first base. Do that enough, you'll win a game. Mm. That's it. The whole conventional wisdom of how baseball was done yeah. was changed. And 
no one, everyone thought he was mad. Everyone thought he was just running the team into the ground. And the first few games they lost and it looked wrong. It just looked wrong. Yeah. But he stuck with it and the dynamic of baseball was changed hmm. because of it. He was right. Uh, but it takes vi a, 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 a combination of vision and gut and actually Tenacity. ultimately being correct. But, but also persistent. Because right, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you may well have a few false starts, uh, but you're like, no, no, okay, fair enough. I know what I did wrong there. We're still carrying on. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's ballsy. Mm. Well, Wellington is like that. It's like, no, I, I perceive that the game should be played like this. Mm. Um, so here's a, another letter he sent to Lord Liverpool, actually, in 1810. He said, um, I have as much respect as any man uh, for the opinion and judgment of Sir J. Moore. And I should misjudge my own if opposed to his in a case where he had an opportunity of knowing and considering. But he positively knew nothing of Portugal and could know nothing of its exist existing state. Yet he says that the greatest disadvantage under which I labour is that Sir John Moore gave the opinion that the country could not be defended by the army under his command. Um, bit of a convoluted way of saying. Um, look, he thought he couldn't do it, but... Um, it just, maybe, it, it, just can, it just can be done. But, but um, it's almost like um, he's saying, well, he thought he couldn't. Right, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And I agree with him. <laughs> you know? yeah. I think I can do it, and I'll show you that I can. <laughs> yeah. you know? And he is, he just, he is both great at strategy and tactics sort of mm. on the day, mm. Wellesley. Um, so, well, all right, so to start, he gets sent over to Portugal and um, he lands, a small army, a relatively small army lands. And sort of straight away, there's a couple of battles. The bigger of the two is Vimero, Battle of Vimero, where for the first time he uses the lion against the column and mm. beats them. Right. Um, he's still fighting Juno. Yeah. And, um, and sort of, as you can imagine, the whole of Europe or the whole of, world, of the world and Napoleon are sort of quite shocked by that <laughs> yeah, because it's the first time yeah. it's happened, you know. Um, I mean, so I, d I don't really know much about line and column warfare. Yeah. But it just strikes me that, well, if the line kind of pulls away from the column in two separate directions, the column can only follow one direction and leaves itself with a big open flank. Yeah, there's that. The main disadvantage to the column is that when they fire back, Hmm. Only the first couple of ranks yeah, can, fight. can fight. And all the rest of them just got to stand there. Yeah. <clears throat> and they can get enfiladed fire, i.e. Yeah, yeah. on their flanks, on their yeah. sides. Um, so, yeah. I'm surprised the column can beat the line. I mean, I don't know, like I said, I don't know anything about it. But it just seems that you're at a natural disadvantage with it. Well, it works really well if the line you're fighting against aren't brilliant at musketry. <laughs> Right, okay. And if they're prone to break once their line is broken, right, which was the case for most of, right, even right. even like the Prussians, right. So right, yeah. so you've got this kind of wedge that forces its way through, mm. and they're like, oh god, the lines are penetrated. Quick, run away, run yeah. away. Plans, yeah. you know, everything's ruined. And then the French send in a bunch of cavalry. Yeah, the, the, yeah. you've won the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's not really about actually inflicting casualties what it's about is making the other men afraid and you're showing you're bold enough to be able to walk up to them and break through hmm. and so hmm. it's all psychological game but like yeah. i said it like it, it just looked to me like 
physically, isn't this column just going to get gun, gunned down? You know, because that's what I would have expected to happen. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.